Welcome to Her Stories, a series of podcasts showcasing the diverse expertise, wisdom, and courage of the members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, presented by peace activist Magda Zenon. In each episode, recorded during the coronavirus social isolation period, a different mediator shares her story. Hello, this is Magda. Today on Her Stories, we speak with founder and president of the European Centre for Dispute Resolution and an attorney at law, Katerina Kresal. Welcome, Katerina. Hello, Magda. Nice to be with you. Nice. I'm very honoured you agreed to the interview. Katerina, you wear a lot of hats, like most women, okay? We have, we wear a lot of hats. Introduce yourself to us. Tell me who Katerina is. Tell me Katerina's journey to where she is today. Well, I am basically a lawyer, which means that I cherish a lot, you know, what is right, what is wrong, you know, how to make life without disputes. So I guess what I studied has really influenced all of my life. Uh, And what I did go to study is probably because I am a person like I am, and I like things to be organized and regulated. So um, I always liked um, uh, the words to be in, in some kind of a frame that you can oversee and you can control and when, where everybody can have the same starting position to, um, to go and to make the best out of them. It's interesting that I went to study law because I wanted to be a judge. I never wanted to be a, an attorney, but at the end, I became an attorney. <laughs> and I definitely never, ever thought that I would be a politician. But look at this. I also became quite a quite a seen politician in our country. So um, obviously, I'm somebody who likes the frames, but doesn't like to plan a lot. So <laughs> the life has brought me to many, many very different positions. And I've uh, had a lot of experience in many different professions. But you know what? But you know what they say, Katerina? They say if you follow your passion, life guides you. You go on the journey you're supposed to be going on. As long as you're being true to yourself and you're following your passion. Yeah. And I always say, well, it's good to plan and it's good to know what you want. It's good to have goals and to try to reach them. But then every now and then it happens that something occurs that you just cannot ignore. And it's actually been in my life the best things I've done. And the things that have you know, fulfilled me the most were the ones that I didn't plan and where I just instinctively decided that I will leave the old path and go on a new one. Uh, everybody was quite uh, already always um, amazed by that. And of course, if I would listen to all of my friends, I would never do anything from that. But, uh, you know, a certain, a certain stage of um, unplanning and surprise has proven to be very, very beneficial for me. Well, I have to agree with you. I think the best things that have happened to me is when I've just decided to de- dive in the deep end and think an opportunity has presented itself and I've said to myself, why not? What's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work out. So I agree with you. Sometimes you've just got to trust your gut instinct and certainly not listen to other people of what you should or should not be doing. Listen to what feels right, 
The worst that can happen is it doesn't work out and you change, you do something else. Like you say, because most of people say, but what if this goes wrong? But what if this one, this is different than you expect? What if this person is not what you see? And I always said, but then what if it's not like that? What if it is something good? What is what if this person is really the right thing? What if this job is really the right thing? I will never know if I don't try. Mm. And I definitely I am happy with what I am today. There's been certain years after me, uh, but I'm happy not just because of all the good things that happened to me, but also because of all the bad things. There were a lot of bad things as well, but they made me what I am today. Exactly. Make decisions in a different way. You know, I can um, uh, have feelings in a different way. You know, choose things that I will do in a different way because I tried it all. Mm. No? I can stay home blocked between four walls. And in thinking in the box, you learned lessons. I, I think I don't think they're mistakes. I think they're lessons. So everything like- you do, everything you do, you learn something. Whether it's right, something is good for you or bad for you. You learn that. You learn that. So yeah. tell me, how did this? What opportunity came up that led you into politics? Yeah, that, that, that was probably one of the biggest steps of my uh, of my path. I was at that time already quite prominent attorney. I was working in a big law firm, you know, head of the department and so on. But I was always a very political person with respect to, you know, how I see the, the, the world around me. I always had really strong opinions about everything, I always went to vote and everything, but I never really considered to, to engage professionally. Why? Because you can't do two things, you know, either you go into the legal profession mm-hmm. you know, or in a business profession or whatever, or you are a politician, you cannot be everything. So my path was quite different than that. But of course, that didn't mean that I didn't have it completely clear in my head what is politically good and not good, at least from my from my perspective. So I, I was always a liberal, you know, human rights, you know, equality, uh, women issues, of course, rule of law. These were the, this, these are the things that I really believed in. So I was in very strong positions always. But then it was really a coincidence that, that brought me um, to this because I know I, we had a dinner one evening with an old friend of ours of a family friend, and he was a politician. He was actually a very prominent politic, you know, with ex-ministers and, and ex-minister and so on. And they were just, you know, he was in a he was in a liberal party, liberal democrat party, and they, they had this huge internal, you know, disputes, whatever, whom to put uh, as a president, you know, and how to 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 lead the party because now it's. Um, it were all these internal changes. And I was really having, you know, I was making fun. I said, well, guys, you know, it's really a time that you get somebody new, somebody young and somebody woman, you know. <laughs> so go and find her, you know. <laughs> and I didn't have anything in mind at that time. But the friend of mine didn't forget what I said. And he came back a few months later, and he said, well, we really thought out your proposal and we would really like you to join us. <laughs> I said, no, you got to be kidding. You know, that's not what I wanted. It's not what I plan. And I have lots to do in my law firm. But, well, he was resilient. I guess politicians are like that. And he managed to persuade me in a few months to actually take over the party and to go on elections and then to be nominated 
as a minister and nobody really believes me that I didn't plan so or there was no hidden agenda, but it was really a line of coincidences. But of course, a challenge, a challenge. And you were appointed Minister of the Interior. Yes. Firstly, I was actually elected as an MP, as a member of the parliament. And then because my party came into the government, uh, I took over one of the one of the ministries, and yes, I was uh, elected then as a, as a interior because of my background, because of my knowledge, uh, being a lawyer. This was this was also a ministry that I um, actually quite liked. Even though everybody said, "Are you crazy?" You know, that's the hottest seat in the government. Don't take it. But I said, "Well, I like it hot." <laughs> <laughs> and tell me, you had one or two great successes as minister of the interior. Tell us about them. Uh, one of the things that I uh, really take as, you know, I'm proud of is, is how the Ministry of Interior, which is still a very manly place mm-hmm. also in Slovenia, which is very open for women. But then again, I was actually the first woman minister okay. of the interior. So that was a big step. But then, of course, as a real woman, you know, I tried really to change everything in the ministry. So uh, it was in first time in the in the history that the ministry uh, put as one of the top priorities fight against domestic violence. Oh, good. We really did a lot, and we put it on the agenda, and we had we had action plans and um, trainings and uh, PR and everything. And it, in that short time of a one mandate, it really changed the ministry. It changed how police was looking at this issue. It changed completely how they behaved. We changed all the procedures of how to um, approach that kind of uh, crimes and victims. And what I'm, I'm glad the most, it's been, I think it's been like seven, eight years that I'm not in the politics anymore, but I still see that this agenda stays. And I still see that there are all these annual conferences and then annual PR, you know, um, uh, stories that go on and that it is still there. It has not, you know, gone back, you know, not being important, but it is important. And we changed really a lot. And in this in this frame, I also um, I, I, we also had the first woman uh, vice uh, director mm-hmm. of the police. Okay. As my, my mandate, and I think that that made the path for her because in the previous government, then she became the head of police, oh. and that was the first ever that a woman became a head of police. And I, some kind of, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm like a accomplice in the crime that this happened. <laughs> tell, me, tell me, how <laughs> difficult was it to put domestic violence on the agenda? Well, not really, because when I decide something, then this happens. And it was also in my ministry. Uh, it was it was really interesting because everybody was really, uh, you know, cautious what will happen now. Now we have this young lady. I was 34 years old. Oh, you were young. I was the youngest minister at that time, especially in that kind of a ministry. So everybody thought, oh, well, how this will work, you know, but... I came from a very organized profession. I was a you know, deputy head of a huge law firm in, uh, in our country, and I know how to organize things. So I took myself half a year to, to show my colleagues that I mean what I'm saying, mm. to put all the organization in processes. 
but then again also to 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 gain them as as my colleagues that would believe in what I'm saying. So I didn't really like approach people, you know, you will do this and this, but I try to show them that this is really fabulous what we're doing. Yes. So in like it took really a few months that people started to believe in that I really mean what I'm doing and that they are doing something meaningful and they followed. So okay. we had really good groups of people specialized, uh, you know, some of them for, for, for police work, some of them for the, you know, administrative uh, uh, ministerial work, some of them for marketing, because we really spoke a lot about this in the public and so on. And, Sorry, sorry, can I interrupt you? I think that's the most important part, that the speaking about domestic violence. Yes. Putting it out in the public sector, that it's not something that you must be ashamed of. It's got to be in the public space because I've got to feel that I can get help if I am am a victim. I've got to feel that that I'm not alone. That is true, and that was what I always said whenever whenever I addressed this issue was, well... 20 years ago, now back in old Yugoslavia, we didn't have domestic violence. Mm. Well, at least we thought we did. We thought we did it. (laughs) Nobody spoke about it. It was not in the frame of the social, you know, society that we lived in. But immediately when you stop, when you start uh, talking about it, when you open channels and anonymous, anonymous channels, when people can speak, then you realize, of course, you have it as much as anywhere else. Uh, and once you start speaking about it, uh, then it starts getting um, resolved. And of course, I I got the backup, of course, of the government. I got the, the funds for that. And what was really important is that I really opened the doors for non-governmental organizations. Very important. There's quite some really good in Slovenia that are very active, that have done really a lot and we have really opened the doors also when we were, you know, doing some law changes. We always asked for the opinion. We cherished their opinion and we always invited them for any that kind of, uh, you know, actions that we had in the public. So I think this helped really a lot because we gained uh, very alternative views on what the problem is. So and then we, when we put all this together, some really good uh, decisions came out of it. Well, to me, if the civil society sector and the government doesn't work together, it doesn't work because civil society until now has been what has been carrying domestic violence. That is true. So they're the ones that are the grassroots that know, have access to the victims or the victims have access to. So unless you as the government take into account what has actually been done Together with the mistakes, because as you said, it's not a mistake, it's a lesson learned. So together with the mistake, together you can actually put together a much more effective system to deal with the domestic violence. Because everyone's, everything's been taken into consideration. That is true. And if you approach like this, if all the, the parties are involved, then the system starts moving in a certain way which you cannot just stop like that. You know, yes. the minister cannot just come and say, I don't care about women and the domestic violence. You can't because it's been implemented into the laws. It's been implemented into the processes of the ministry and of the police, into the educational system, and you just can't move away from it. So that's why it's so nice to see that, you know, there's, there's a legacy that stay, stay there. So, you know, in a few years, of course, nobody will remember who started it, but it's important that it's there and that it's happening. And, uh, have you ratified the Istanbul Convention? Has Slovenia ratified the yes. Istanbul? Oh, good, yes. good. 
Okay. It's good. I mean, it's good to know that even though they might not remember you started the wheel turning, that the wheel is still turning. That's true, because the, the progress must go on. <laughs> yes, it must go on. Um, what made you leave politics? Because you are now lo- no longer in politics. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, somehow it wrapped it up. It's, 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 re- it's an actually, it's a beautiful profession. Even though it has the, the frame in which you have to perform it, it's not always very beautiful. So sometimes you lose a lot of energy, you know, just with dealing with your competition on the market. <laughs> <laughs> or you are dealing with, of course, sometimes too demanding media or you're dealing with whatsoever, you know. But at a certain stage, I realized that it's, um, I cannot really show my full potential in it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's again a, a combination of different factors. And I could stay, of course, but I, I thought it would be just, you know, not really having the scissors and the paper in the hand to do a lot. I've, mm. I've done a lot in those few years, but circumstances have changed. And I said, well, either I do it in full and I do a lot or I just don't do it anymore. So I decided to completely move out of it okay. uh, and, and go back to, to, the, to the law profession because I, at a certain stage I realized that it's not, um, it's not beneficial either for me or... Uh, or, or for anybody else. Okay. So you moved on and then you founded the European Center for Dispute Resolution. That is true. I said I cannot go back uh, because they wanted to have me back at my law firm uh, immediately. But I said, well, no, things, it, it moved like you know, 10 years went, went by, things changed. And I need to do something else now. You know, I have this great experience from the court, from the from from the working in business because I used to work in, in companies as well. I was also a corporate lawyer. And then I was in, an attorney and then it was politics. I said, I should do something now really original out of this. Let's do something new. I, uh, I, was, I had a really good colleague also from my party that was a minister of justice in, my, in, in our government. Uh, his name was Alesh Zalar. He was, he was previously also the president of the big, biggest court in Slovenia. And, of course, the mandate ended for us both. Okay. And, of course, he also said, well, if, you know, I cannot go back to be a judge now or, you know, president of the court now. Once you are in politics, you can't really go back. And so we sat there and we said, well, let's do something really original. And then after a lot of thinking, we said, well, we don't really have – a good dispute resolution institution in in Slovenia or in the region, uh, as a matter of fact. And and as ministers, we saw that there will be a lot of regulation, European regulation Mm -hmm. with respect to consumer dispute resolution. There were new uh, directives coming, regulations coming, and so on. I said, well, this might be a niche or the area where we we could do something really good. And and, uh, his, his... that, that's why we, we can work together because he has really similar work ethics like I do. And, and once, you know, when you grab for something, then you really, you know, you really uh, chew it until it, <laughs> it's something out of it. And we manage actually to do in, in really, really short time. Like uh, I, we established it in February and by the end of the year, this was a real institution already with its set of rules, with its, 
councils with its, you know, uh, uh, network of experts and mediators and arbitrators, and with the first projects, international projects. So, what made we, it different? What made it different? Why was it different? I think it was actually because that was because we were sitting like this, like you ask now, and we are like saying, how come nobody did this before? And we said, how come we were the first? Because you no know, business really started going. I said, how come nobody, nobody thought of it? And then we answered our own question and said, well, actually, it's pretty tough to do that because we said, who has at the same time um, experience from, from economy, experience from the court, experience, experience from the private sector, experience from the governmental sector, I said, well, an experience from abroad, because we were both also very international. We traveled a lot with these projects and so on. I said, well, you don't really find a lot of people that would, that would combine these experiences okay. in one place. So this was our own answer to our own questions. It's pretty tough to do it because we are not just a dispute resolution. So we're not like just arbitration mediation center. But we are also the institution that provides um, uh, um, an alternative consul consultations yeah. for ministries, for other countries, for agencies. So we are engaged often by I don't know EBRD by by a certain investors like like foreign funds that invest in rule of law projects. So, so sorry, sorry, done... can, sorry, can I just interrupt? You? So what you're saying to me, this dispute resolution center. You've put together procedures of solving conflicts or differences in a more holistic way, not yes. purely in a legalistic way, within the framework of the rule of law, but yes. more holistically taking all the factors around the differences together. That's true. And giving people alternatives. Because most of people, you know, when they have a dispute, they, they, they turn to court. They don't yes. know that there is a wide variety of exactly. possibilities how to approach. So we're not just now offering these different approaches, but we're also teaching others how to do it. We're teaching companies how to, uh, how to adopt their dispute resolution strategies. Because, you know, all of the companies, they have marketing uh, strategy, they have finance strategy, they have new market strategy, whatever strategy, HR strategy. But nobody has a dispute resolution strategy. Mm. But you have disputes within the company. You have disputes within the bodies of the company, management board, supervisory board, between the directors. And, of course, you have disputes with your clients. So the right approach can change this immensely and, of course, save a lot of money and, and enable company to focus on, on what it does, its own business. And it's, of course, not just with companies like us. It's also with the governments. Mm. So we are often, as we are, you know, interesting is that this colleague of mine, Alesh, uh, he actually introduced mediation in Slovenia. I, when I, when I make fun of him and I said, you are the father of mediation in Slovenia, because he was a president of the biggest court in okay. Slovenia. That's the district court of Ljubljana. And like 18 years ago, or something like that, he made a pilot project and introduced mediation into the court procedures. Okay. He saw that in US because he traveled a lot. He saw it, so he got funding for that, and we introduced court annex mediation programs. 
And what? We started in one court, very limited. And in next 10 years, it grew to become one of the most important features of Slovenian judicial system. Now, all of the courts, uh, circuit, um, uh, district, and high courts have implemented mediation into their court proceedings. So every client that comes to court firstly gets the possibility to have a mediation within the court procedure. Well, I, are- I, I feel that mediation, especially within the court procedure, is so beneficial because in the end, nobody loses. That's the most important. Nobody loses. And you find a way that everyone has their non-negotiables, but they find a space in the middle that then they compromise. With the mediation decision, everybody's happy. Yes. Because they agreed to it and they came to it by themselves. There was a third person that helped. Yes. They came to it by themselves. And it's interesting also in in our center, we do a lot of mediation. We do a lot of consumer mediation, for example. We are the biggest institution in Slovenia that provides dispute resolution for consumers. And it's... Um, We were a bit afraid, you know, because most of the companies chose to use mediation, not, for example, arbitration, or they didn't they didn't choose the combination of mediation and arbitration. And we said, okay, the companies will just, you know, they will just try mediation. They will say, we tried it, and off we go. Mm. You know, we didn't get a solution. But it is interesting that even in these procedures that where the company is actually obliged to have them, that's, that's our law, mm. they have to have it in certain sectors, like banking and insurance, okay. have to have mediation for consumers and have to pay for it. So, I mean, that's a lot of, you know, um, must for a company. But even in those, once they start a mediation with us, of course, we have very specialized mediators and they know how to do it. And But once they start, they we have the highest rate of success, which is 96% of mediations have a positive ending where one when one one party is actually forced to do it but still once they start they realize that this is the wisest thing yes. to do and they will not lose the clients the clients will be even more happy with them and it it was really a uh, surprise for us and something that we always uh, uh, say in our annual reports because we report to the ministry because the ministry has a special registry of who does this kind of dispute resolution not not everybody can And we always report this happiness of ours, you know, that is really, really <laughs> successful uh, where we where we expected it the least to be successful. Do you also do family resolution, a uh, conflict dispute resolution? Family. Family, of course, of course. And uh, the family and employment okay. are actually the most two, two of most appropriate probably fields for mediation where our mediations are really successful. Uh, it's it's like between 65 to 75% mediations in family issues or in employment that get resolved which is which is really a high high rate uh, because why because there's a lot of emotions yes disputes business disputes are different and usually business people know exactly that they should not be losing time with uh, with the courts and and they settle but when there's a ex-husband and wife or where there is, is an employer that let one employee go mm. and the other one thinks that it was not fair and so on. There's really a lot of old issues and stories and uh, feelings and you have to have somebody 
that is not biased, that's impartial, mm. that opens your eyes and sees and lets you know that it's really not worth losing time and energy and money at the end of the day or, or trying to get back to, in, to into the environment that doesn't want you anymore. You know, so it's, it's really, it's really helping people. And that's why usually these mediators, they're not really lawyers. Many times they're psychologists or social workers. Mm. Also, some of these you know, more soft, uh, soft skills that they develop and they can, they can really work with people and um, open their eyes that they should resolve their personal issues personally. And um, we're happy to see these high rates of success. Well, you know what it is? Because having been through a divorce, if you actually waste energy on sorting a solution, you have very little energy then to start again. So you've got to conserve. No, you've got to use as much energy as is necessary to get a solution that is good for everyone. But you mustn't waste energy. Because you need a lot of energy to start your life again, in what, whether it's whether it's in a job situation or in a personal situation, there's a lot of energy in starting again or changing direction. So that's where you need to focus your energy. So, I, mediation is really the only way to find a solution for me. Okay, yeah. Yeah. especially as you said, when there's a lot of emotion involved. Tell me, um, Katerina, you are a member of the Mediterranean Woman Mediators Network. What do you feel it brings to you? Because you obviously bring all these skills with you and you also bring to the network this, the different dimension that we tend to associate mediation with peace building. And yet yes. mediation is a skill that is so broad and can be used anywhere and it's good to remember that. So what do you feel the the mediation network can bring to you? How do you feel you can work with it all? I think it's fantastic how it combines women from really different professions and, of course, very, very different countries. Mm. Different system with this different philosophy, culture, dispute resolution. And already at the, at the first, um, uh, the founding meeting that I was, I was, I was really amazed what kind of women I met and how much I learned, actually. Mm-hmm. I have, of course, also this um, uh, uh, affinity to, 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 to like more global dispute resolution. I, I find it interesting how the mediation, conciliation, negotiation is used in real conflict mm. resolution between the countries, within the countries, with, within, between the, I don't know, cultural groups and so on. And I really wanted, wanted to learn more about this and maybe to have an opportunity to be a part of that kind of a procedure at once, because it's, I definitely think there's not by far not enough women in that kind of a procedures because I, of course, um, men and women are different. It doesn't mean that one is better or one mm. is worse, but women do have different approach. I have seen this in every professions that I have worked, you know, it's this collaborative approach of trying to understand the other side or trying to understand the both side and for the benefit of the final goal, being able to do a few steps back and maybe to swallow your pride is something that is much more rare with men mm. than with women. And I, I think that, you know, that, that there's this common um, agenda of the um, 
of the network that it's now being also upgraded, of course, is, you know, how to give the voice to women in various disputes that can happen on higher levels mm. as well could really be beneficial for, for the world itself, for the bigger societies. And I've, I've seen, for example, I, I, I have, I have, I have the possibility to push mediation into, uh, inter, country dispute you know we had a we had a we had a dispute with our neighboring country when me and my colleague Alesh were were in in government and if there was not for us we would never push it so far that we would enter into the arbitration agreement with uh, with a big mediation window you know where there was really forced you know that the countries speak and mediate and at the end uh, come to the uh, resolution in a, let's say, still amicable way. Yes. And I think that, you know, women could do that all around the world uh, with this different approach. And because it's also the communication of women is completely different than from the men. It's more more of a, a assisting everybody to get to, to a result and not necessarily just to be heard and to win yes. with the argument. I've seen this many times and I've, I've seen it, for example, how much difference does it make? For example, in law, in our law firm, there's, you know how law firms are. Yes. There's a lot of men and there's a few women. In our law firm, we have more women partners than we have men. We have more women on higher positions than we have men. So we have, we have to have a positive discrimination for men. <laughs> <laughs> we have to hire them like really precisely because we cherish this different approach to, to this future solution. And, and I think I can, and I already know it's been, I don't know, two, three years that I've been a member and I've learned a lot, a lot from all these women that I would never met otherwise. Yes. With their experience from sometimes from the battlefields that I would never have myself if I have not sat with them and discussed with them. And I'm really looking forward now because I see that the network is really, you know, it's pushing, it's evolving it's uh, cooperating with other networks, you know, and it's, I think I can, I can still learn a lot from it. Well, I know that every, uh, one of the reasons I enjoy these interviews so much, because I do it as a freelancer anyway, and I've been doing it for uh, five or six years, is that every time I speak to one of these wonderful peace builders, I learn at least one more thing. They have got so much wisdom, so much courage, so much creativity because they make, they solve things and they just carry on. It just, it's, they're driven, but in a gentle way because they want to create a world that's better for all of us. So I agree with you. We, we've all got something to learn from each other. We've all got something to learn from each other. And I agree with you. Women tend to not. They worry less about ego and winning. They mm-hmm. worry more about let's find a way that we can win-win. That is true. Win-win. Um, Katerina, if you, uh, before we, we get into the end of this interview, is there anything you want to say before I ask you your last question? <laughs> um, well, just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, la- no, it's not a trick question. The last question is, do you have role models? Is there anyone, any woman in you, anyone you feel that helped, that inspired you in your life, that you look up and you say, wow? You know, this was 
one of this is one of the questions that I actually got many times and one of the, the hardest questions because I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not the person to just follow one uh, example you know no I can start at home I can start with my mother you know if I would not have uh, my my early steps in a uh, in a family where equality was something that was you know completely normal and nothing to be questioned about uh, and where the, the the progressiveness and liberalism was something that was you know a constitution then I would probably be a completely different person now I agree so it's there she was definitely the first role model to show you know I mean there's completely no reason why men and women should not do things the same uh, and how they should do it and then it moved on so I I tried to take, you know, the best from not just women, also the men that I met. I I, I can always put a, a somebody that I really uh, admire is my partner, you know, the one that I live with, with you know. And he's a man, but he's a feminist, you know. <laughs> he's the one, you know, that um, has built actually the law firm that I work in and put all these women on the on, on the high places, you know, because he, he knows how important it is to have a combination of women's and men brain and emotions mm. on one side. And I could definitely say that I, you know, have learned a lot from my, from my father and I've learned a lot from my colleagues in my work. And I've learned a lot from my uh, fellow uh, ministers that I worked with in the government. By the way, our government was the one that uh, had the most women inside. And we showed how, Easy it is to collaborate. You know, okay. we were from different parties, but we collaborated and we had common projects. This was really, really something that was not seen before. So I don't, I really can't say this one is the one that I follow, but I really tried to grab the knowledge and, uh, and good examples from the people I meet and the people I work with by see on television. So I don't have a straightforward answer. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry because most of the women I've interviewed are similar to you. They will mention one or two high-profile names, but most of them believe that it's it's a moving, it's something that's moving. It's today I might admire you, I might find you inspiring, and then things change, and I meet someone else that's equally inspiring. So tomorrow the name is different. So. I think that's the best part is that you actually take what you need or take what resonates with you and you move on. So no, I don't apologize. We we're in fact we're all inspire we all inspire each other in a different way, I think. The most important it is that you um that you keep an open mind. Mm. That you don't settle. Uh, that you don't say, well now I've reached my top. You never reach your top because once you reach your top you can just go down, and I really hate going down. You know, I agree I, with you. I like to go further, and I always, even in my profession, whether you could say, "Okay, well, I know about this issue, everything," but it's not true. There will be a person who will know more about it, and I like to learn, and I also like to tell the people that I've learned from them because I think it's, that's how that also gives them back a feedback. And exactly, I agree. They're appreciated. <laughs> No, no, I agree with you. I've got to say thank you for teaching me. Or great, you taught me something new today. And I, do, I mean, every single interview I have done over the past six years, I've one a week, I have learned at least one thing from every single woman. I should have done my PhD. 
<laughs> it's never too late. Um, it's never too late, yeah. It's, it's never too late. It's never too late. Um, Katerina, thank you for being with us today. Uh, I look forward to meeting you because I don't know if we met in Rome. Uh, well, I was there. I think we, at least we saw us. Yes, yes. <laughs> I remember your face. <laughs> I also remember your face. But I don't was... think that we spoke a lot. Uh, and I would be really great uh, if we could uh, on the next occasion because it was really nice uh, speaking to you. You know, it's every interview is like you can really give the best out of you if there's somebody that asks you the right questions and give you the outlines. And it was really a pleasure speaking to you. I think we've opened some interesting issues and definitely I got something back from you as well. So I have something more now that I I will leave this interview. Thank you, Katerina. And that's uh, thank you for that compliment. And I think it's mutual. I think it's mutual. And I really look forward to when the coronavirus is a thing of the past and we can travel a little bit more freely but safely that's true and see us and speak without these monitors yes without monitors and feel the energy of people so I look forward to meeting you in person and I wish you a good rest of the day thank you very much you as well thank you Katerina bye 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 if you enjoyed this episode of Her Stories please leave comments suggestions and reviews and share with anyone you feel may find this equally interesting. A big thank you to our sponsor, You and Woman, and see you on the next episode.